Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Chips, a podcast with Vice Sports. My name is Aaron Gordon. I am a staff writer with Vice Sports here in pretty gloomy Brooklyn, New York today. Um, I don't know. Brooklyn's always gloomy. Like, even even when it's nice out, I'm still like, why the fuck am I here? With the New Year cheer, I'm joined by Will McGee from London. Will, is it any less gloomy there? Uh, I'm looking out the window here. It's kind of nighttime now. Uh, night has descended here. And it's, yeah, it's about 20 to 5, so, yeah, I think we can safely say that it's not cheerful. Nighttime's pretty, pretty gloomy. Like, in general, I guess. It's the gloomiest time, I would say. <laughs> and it's, like, that weird time in in, in England, or in London especially, where it's just, like, barely gets sunny, or, like, the sun barely comes out during the day, and then it becomes dark at, like, 3.30, right? Yeah, yeah, that does make us sound a little bit like Norway or something, but, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's certainly not uh, not cheerful. It's good, proper winter football weather. All right. Uh, I'm sure you came to listen to Chips for the weather report. But just in case you didn't, we're going we're gonna to talk about, about soccer stuffs. Um, a lot of soccer has happened recently because uh, the EPL insists on playing roughly half the season during the two weeks around Christmas and New Year's. Uh, we're just going to focus on a couple a couple of things that happened that we thought were funny um or bad or good or really just adjectives <laughs> you know nouns uh so yesterday uh it was yesterday right well god i can't i'm i just slept for the past two weeks i don't even know like what has happened yesterday yeah, yeah i don't know it feels like an eternity of just constant football kafka-esque football every single day Every second of the day is football here. So, yeah, no, yesterday is the football that we will be talking about today. And and we'll talk about the just sheer amount of soccer later in the show. But for now, let's talk about Pep Guardiola. So, yesterday, Manchester City played against... Oh, God, who did they play yesterday, Burnley. Will? Fuck. Burnley, thank you. It's all it's all just bleeding together. Everyone's played four games in the past week, and I can't remember who played. Okay, so Manchester City played Burnley, and it uh, it was a little bit before the end of the first half when Fernandinho went in with. I think it's safe to say he went in with a two-footed dive, got a straight red, so he'll be out for the next four games. 
Manchester City didn't really care that they were down to 10 men. They still, they played a fantastic second half. Um, Silva and Aguero came on. And even with 10 men, they thoroughly dominated Burnley and won the game 2-1. After the game, though, Pep gave, like, a, a very odd press conference that was very awkward. And he was just very evasive, you know, classic, like, five-word answers. And the big topic of of today, really, is, like, what the deal with Pep being all depressed even after winning a game is. So, Will, um, I'm just going to ask you, like, why why do you think Pep acted like that? Like, what what's what's going on in that in that beautiful bald head of his? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, he's he's had a pretty sobering uh, kind of taste of what the kind of what happens to you if you're in the Premier League and you have a bit of a blip as a kind of manager of a major club because he's obviously you know there's been a few people questioning various things about him. I don't think there's I, I personally don't think the criticism has been particularly over the top or ridiculous but I think he's certainly got some criticism and and he's probably reacting to that but it's interesting to see him kind of uh, go into this kind of a bit basically was a bit of a strop because I don't know we've seen it quite a lot with Premier League managers uh, and and top Premier League managers as well in the last few years certainly like Jose Mourinho last season with Chelsea stands out uh, and Arsene Wenger obviously does it quite a lot but I mean, basically, going into my view really is that going into like a kind of a strop with the press is basically almost entirely self-defeating. And no matter like what the criticism is, it's kind of much better to stay aloof from that and stay kind of constantly uh, just kind of. I don't, you don't you don't have to be affectionate towards the press, but like you can be perfectly cold and you know perfectly professional and just calculating with it. But I mean, to turn up and just give like two word answers, all that will really do is produce more headlines about like Pep Guardiola throws a massive strop and acts like a dickhead. So I don't see how it's po- it can ever be helpful really to like just kind of try and cold shoulder the press entirely. Like it usually either backfires very badly or just doesn't reflect well on the manager at all and his and his kind of state of mind. So I think it's a bit of a weird one, especially after they've they've won, and it's not like they're doing terribly and they're like in tenth Man City, but um, you know they're doing okay, they're doing they're doing perfectly well. And it's his first season and stuff, so I, I don't really know why he's necessarily reacted so badly. But yeah, I certainly don't think it can it can ever be uh, particularly helpful to to do that. Well, I'm like kind of on in two minds on this. Like on the one hand, I get why especially like journalists but really anyone would kind of be irked by this right like this is supposed to be like a professional relationship between the journalists and the manager right they both need each other to kind of do their jobs um it just doesn't seem like it's good for anybody to treat you know a a professional i don't want to say colleague because that's not correct but someone who you interact with on a regular basis in a professional setting with such animosity um on the other hand to, to kind of go in with Pep's view for a bit, like, a lot of the questions that he got asked that, you know, prompted some of those terse replies were really, really shitty questions that I would have reacted much, much worse to. Like, here, here are a few of them. 
It was an emotive day, wasn't it? For the players, fans, and managers as well. Like, what the fuck are you supposed to say to that? And he was three times asked to, quote, expand on that. Like, so someone asked him a question. He gave a real answer. If it was short, it was still a real answer. And they just didn't get a good quote out of it. So they just asked him, expand on that. Now, if I was a manager, that would enrage me. Like, I don't, like, he doesn't have to say things just for the journalist's benefit. They ask a question, he answers the question. And it's on the journalist, if they're a good journalist, to come up with another question for him. Not to just say, like, talk more. Just say more things. Like, that's so lazy. I would have no professional respect for journalists who just said, expand on that. And then, like, I could just go on. But I, that that was kind of my takeaway from this pep thing was it was just as much about him being frustrated with the types of questions he was – or non-questions, really, he was being asked than the, anything about, about Pep himself. I, th- I think in fairness, like, the, the, I, I suppose there's kind of three tiers of uh, commentary from journalists in, in, like, Premier League and in English football. There's, like, the post-match interview, you know, straight afterwards, which is pr- usually pretty cursory. It's not, I mean, it's very rare that someone gets into, like, the real meat of, like, football philosophy in that interview. It's mainly, like, a few questions about the match. Then you get, like, a post-match press conference, which is perhaps a bit more in-depth, and then obviously over the course of the you know next few days you get uh, you know like features opinion pieces like whatever and I think often like the problem is that actually the people who do the post match interviews are not the people who write or make the worst criticism but they get the worst flack so in other words those people will ask pretty like you I mean I, I don't I, I'm not sure I agree that they were like um, that they were stupid questions but. I think that they were like fairly cursory questions, just kind of things like, do you think Fernandinho's challenge was a red, red card? Does he have a discipline problem? Stuff like that. I mean, those are normal questions to ask in a, in a post-match uh, interview. And Pep, like, Pep's reaction was very, very, like, I don't know, very dismissive of what are perfectly normal questions. But the problem is really that, you know, the guys doing the post-match interviews, they're not the ones who are going to write in the middle of the week, like oh, Pep Guardiola has lost his way, like, oh, his philosophy is not working in England. They are not all part of the same, like, media, if you will, or, like, MSM, the mainstream media or whatever. That You know, these people will have different, different jobs. And, like, the job of a post-match interviewer is to talk about the match in a very immediate sense, not to, like, firstly, not really to criticise Pep Guardiola. I very much doubt any post-match interviewer is going to criticise him. So for him to get angry with them seems even more reductive. And also... You know, it's not really, it's not for them to uh, kind of like massage his ego or anything. Like, they just want to have fairly cursory answers about the match, but not so cursory that it's just two or three words and like a grumpy half. I, I mean, I get it. Like, I get that, you know, they're not going to be asking him like the most hard hitting questions, but there's a, there's, a happy medium here where you like don't where you don't necessarily need to drill him but you can ask real questions with real answers too and they did that on some in some in some occasions and he gave real answers like someone asked him about his tactical change after the red card and he responded with how he adjusted the the formation and what personnel changes he made and it was a short answer, but it was substantive. I mean, I don't, I, I guess I don't really get the complaint. You know, one, one of the things that I noticed is that 
the 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 style of Pep's answers were very similar to uh, an NFL coach here in the U.S. Bill Belichick, like he's been coach of the Patriots for 16 years now, and we're just used to this by now. Like he always does this, and it's the same thing. If a journalist asks a bad question, he gives a bad answer. If the journalist asks a real question that he can actually answer, he gives some of the most informative and interesting answers of any NFL coach, maybe in history. Like he really goes on on long. Explanatory tangents. Um, and Pep does the same. Like, if you ask Pep a question about, like, the history of the defensive midfielder or some shit, he goes on forever. Like, so I think it's all about the question being asked. And I just, I'm, I get it. Like, Pep is, was in a bad mood and, and now he's getting shit on for being in a bad mood. But I'm, I'm not convinced that he, his, like, his demeanor was as bad as people. Are making it out to be. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I haven't seen all of the post-match press conference, but I suppose the real, the real bit that kind of caught my eye as being like just, just kind of, I thought pretty, pretty pointless or reductive was he had it was his post-match interview with Damien Johnson um, from the BBC. That is where he really was completely like he just completely clammed up, refused to say anything, and you know. He might, I suppose, yeah, later, you know, there, was, there were opportunities to ask him better questions and maybe he responded better. But, I mean, certainly in that immediate, just like off the sidelines, off the pitch, post-match interview, I thought he was, uh, he was, yeah, he, you know, he didn't do himself any favours and he certainly, I mean, you're saying about him getting shit on for being grumpy, but, I mean, Damien Johnson also found himself pretty much just getting, like, digged on by Guardiola for, for no reason. I mean, it's nothing to do with him, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, so I, I with that interview specifically, like, I never know how much to react to those because they happen, like, basically right after the match. And, I mean, sure. it's, it was a – yeah, and it was a, it was a – weird match like emotionally for for Pep I'm sure like I'm sure he was still pretty angry about the red card since he loses you know one of his more important players for the next four matches because of a you know I don't I don't know if we would go as far as call it questionable but he probably hadn't seen the replay yet and you know so it's like it's just such a weird time to be trying to interview a manager and it's just it's speci- the, the timing is specifically geared so that you get in a manager to a manager to act weirdly during it. Like if they wanted a more measured, informative, uh, like you know, discussion with the manager, then they wouldn't have it right as he's walking off the field. They would let him like kind of contextualize the match, maybe watch the film, and have it the next day. So like just the nature of the interview, I think it's unfair to hold Guardiola accountable for being upset or having the emotions of the match that honestly you want managers to have in most cases yeah no i know i I know you're saying and actually it's not it's not abnormal kind of as i'm saying like you know Mourinho and wenger have certainly done this it's not completely out of out of kind of you know normal conception for people to be you know angry in post-match interviews but i suppose that on a kind of slightly different note i always think you know, to be a Premier League manager, the job is not like people like sometimes to pretend or like have hold pretensions to the idea that the job is just about setting up tactics on the day, managing the team on the day, and the game training in the week. Like to be honest, the job comprises a lot of public relations and a lot of media work. And like the reality is that being a Premier League manager, you also part of your job is to like react, you know, or react appropriately to the press. Because if you don't, like that can potentially be to f- your further detriment in public and further detriment in the press, and that can potentially affect your team results. So I always think there's more to the job than just like 
setting up on the day and you know it's part of the job not to be overly angry or like emotive in your post-match interviews you know stay stay calm basically speaking of people whose jobs it may or may not be to have emotions um the other controversial figure from yesterday's actions was the referee in the Manchester United West Ham game, um, Mike Dean. Ah, God bless Mike Dean. Or, you know, curse him, curse him to the sun, whichever, <laughs> whichever position you hold. Uh, I don't, I don't really know what made yesterday like such a big day for Mike Dean. Like he pretty much just deaned it up, you know, in pretty normally for him. Uh, West Ham player when, it, you know, I think it was like his first start to this West Ham player. Uh, you know, he he got sent off for a red card that honestly was like, it was pretty similar to Fernandinho's really. Um, probably even more mild than Fernandinho's. Like on replay, it's pretty clear, I think, that it wasn't actually a red card, but full speed, live action. Dean sent him off. Made a big stink about it, as Dean always does. You know, lots of, like, gesticulating. And, you know, now there's, like, this whole subgenre of, like, Twitter accounts that, uh, like, create vines of Dean, like, talking, you know, lip-reading Dean as he talks to players. Um, and he seems to be, like, a real pompous asshole. Um, so, anyways, um, let's... I kind of want to use this, like, moment from yesterday of Dean just you know, getting getting shellacked by Twitter and the, the commentary as it is to talk about like this nature of, of Mike Dean in general, just as like a referee who tries to actually have a personality. And I think we can loop in a few other referees with him, too. I think Clattenburg kind of does this, too, with some of his facial expressions, although he's a lot more um, mild about it. But I don't, I don't know, Will. What do, you, what do you think of Mike Dean? Like, does it bother you that he tries to be a presence on the field? Or do you think, like, this is a good thing because soccer is a game and game is entertainment and just another guy on the field who's trying to entertain makes it more entertaining? Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of in two minds as to whether, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of an old cliche that, like, oh, the referee's done his job if you don't see him at all. Like, oh, wisdom. And there's an element to which I don't mind referees being entertaining. I kind of think, in a way, it's all entertainment. You know, actually, football's not going to be a pristine thing ever, and you're always going to get controversial decisions, and referees, you know, kind of take the flack for that. And it's part of the drama. So there's part of me that doesn't want to get too kind of worked up about referees. And also, I don't want, to, I wouldn't want to see the game like, reduced to just pure mathematics of like you know perfect decisions at all times in some ways it's nice that there's a human element to it and people make mistakes uh you know another part of me does find Mike Dean quite objectionable but I think that's a pretty normal human reaction but I mean one of the big things that's happened here is that there's now a big debate about like respect and like respecting referees and I think this is probably more problematic because the issue with Dean is, like, you, you were saying about Twitter accounts dedicated to basically taking the piss out of him, and there's a Twitter account called Celebrity Refs, which, as far as I can tell, is almost entirely vines and, like, gifs of Mike Dean just being, you know, incredibly pompous and kind of, like, almost quite schoolmasterly, like a kind of grumpy, PE, you know, PE teacher. So, um, you know, he does bring it upon himself, I think, this criticism, and it's very difficult... Well, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's quite pretentious, I think, to, like, create a respect kind of debate around Mike Dean. Because the issue is, he, he doesn't really seem to show, like, players much respect on the field. Like, he kind of is quite a uh, kind of snarky guy. And he does, 
generally attract a lot of attention. Oh yeah, he to- he totally fucks with the players. Yeah, exactly, and he, t- he draws attention to himself in a way that isn't nece- like, isn't necessary. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it isn't necessary. So then, for people to then be like, you know, once he gets criticism, to basically say, "Oh, have more respect for referees." I mean, the issue with that is. You know, when you draw loads of attention to yourself, you are inevitably then going to get criticism when you get things wrong. Like, nobody's not going to notice if Mike Dean, like, messes something up. People are going to notice because it's Mike Dean and he's so flamboyant. One one thing that, like, I saw this vine that really <laughs> stuck in my head, like, a player was, like, approaching him to argue with a call or something and Dean, like, held his held his hand up to cup his ear like you know lis- like the listening gesture and said like what's that and then immediately just cut the player off and said stop talking like it was clear he just like goaded the player into opening his mouth and then told him to shut up and it's like first of all I don't understand why he would be so theatric about this when the camera like isn't on him like he's basically doing this for the vines which is like s- such a lame fuck like I don't know. It's so it just seems so lame. Like when you're a when you're a professional referee to be like doing something just so that you get caught on a vine later. I don't know. Or like or like maybe he just is that big of a dick, and this is just like who he is. And like maybe like he's at home with his wife, and like they're talking at the dinner table, and his wife says, and "He's like, what's that? Shut up!" Like I don't know. Maybe he does this to his kids all day. Uh, I mean, like I wouldn't want to speculate, but it is quite possible, isn't it? It seems possible, but uh, <laughs> no. I mean. Yeah, you're right. Maybe he just can't help it. Maybe he can't control it. But there is a kind of feeling amongst a lot of fans, I think, that Dean, it's almost like a trolling exercise. Like, Dean is quite aware that he has become a celebrity ref and he's now, you know, playing up to this kind of persona and living up to it. But, you know, if you're going to play up to that persona, you can't then cry foul when people, you know, basically dip on you on Twitter for making bad or a wrong decision. Like, that is inevitable. That is going to happen. So if you're going to play the game... I suppose you can't then, like, affect sadness or, like, you know, kind of chagrin when people are, like, you know, taking a piss of you, out of you, basically. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always tried to approach my thinking of referees kind of how I approach thinking of players because they're fundamentally tasked with similar things. They go out on the field and they try to perform as well as they can, and some days they perform very well and some days they don't. And I, I, I try and, like, not think of referees any different than players um so in that in that vein like if i'm if i'm applying that logic um i like players who have personality i mean like they make the game more fun even if just it part of the fun is hating them you know like i don't know diego costa is really fun to hate and that's an added benefit to the league that he is that you know we we watch him to to hate him and i think like I think the same can be true of referees, you know, like, I think it's kind of refreshing in a way that, like, there's actually something going on with the referee in terms of who he is, like, as a person. I think it's kind of an interesting dynamic that we've never really had in in professional sports, at least not until recently. I think, like, Joey Crawford in the NBA, this, like, short little, like, hobbity dude who, like, is completely bald and makes these really, really, like, gesticulative foul calls and like hops around like a little maniac. Um, he's he's like probably the closest we've ever had, and people fucking hated Joey Crawford. But they also, you know, he was also like a thing. And I think the more like quote unquote things a league has, the more it has going for it. Yeah, no, I, I, I there's part of me that, that agrees. I do think like it's it's not a problem. It's not inherently a problem for a referee to like have a personality or even to wind people up to some extent. But 
I think there is a bit of a middle ground in that like, I, I think with Mike Dean I, I would compare him in my mind to like Howard Webb who, who was a referee who had a personality he was kind of like he, he'd been a, he, he was like I reckon with, uh, with Mike Dean there's, there's kind of a, a middle ground because um, in my mind I always would compare him to, to Howard Webb who was someone who definitely had like a personality and, and was a, a bit of a character and you know was kind of this like northern bloke who'd previously been a policeman and was very kind of like you know on the field you could tell he was like this ex-policeman with a kind of like with a very kind of regimented approach to how he how he refereed and he would often annoy people but actually he always seemed to be doing things basically in the spirit of fairness and he always was concentrating he was very professional he didn't make it about him per se but he still had personality and I think that's probably the happy middle ground we're looking for is like yeah you want you don't you don't need referees to be like robots or automatons but at the same time I although I like you know you kind of love to hate some referees that's you know if it starts to actually interfere with the like integrity of the game and you know with the players relationship with the referee and stuff then then you kind of question whether you know it's actually worth it. I'm not sure. Although I'd like a referee to like be an interesting part of the league and the game, I'm not sure I necessarily would pay money or go to the pub for 90 minutes to watch a referee just referee stuff in a weird way. Yeah, I I get it. There's like a, there's like a fine balance, I guess, right? Because like I, you know, I kind of think of a referee with personality, and like Clattenburg, I think is a pretty good example of a guy who like has a little bit of a personality on the field. Like he's he, he like. You know, you see him making facial expressions and stuff, but you never really question whether he's going over the line with it. Yeah, he famously did that very, very weird tongue thing in the Champions League. So I know, I, I know what you mean. He is pretty normal at most of the time, and kind of you get what he's get, you get what he's sort of getting at with his like expressions and gestures. But I mean, we must make exception for that very weird tongue thing. <laughs> I mean, but even, like, the very weird tongue thing is so great. Like, how many years later is it? And we're still talking about it. Whereas, like, I feel like none of this shit Mike Dean does, the stuff we're actually going to be talking about five years from now, we're just going to kind of remember Mike Dean is just generally this, like, this asshole, you know? And I think, yeah, there's value. I don't know. I just, I guess I, what I'm saying is I would err on the side of letting referees be whatever they want to be until, you know, obviously, like, not to the point where it interferes with the game itself, but, like, I would err on the side of giving them a little room versus, like, making them be, you know, machines out there, which they're clearly clearly not. Um, I don't know. I think it's I, – I, like, I, I can't remember who the ref was, but in that, in that amazing Liverpool game a couple of weeks ago when there was that very, very close goal line technology call, um, when the ball came in on the cross and it, like, didn't go over the line by, like, an inch – and the keeper caught the ball, even though he was, like, entirely in the net, and everyone thought it was a goal, but the goal line technology didn't go off, and the referee, as he was, like, backpedaling, was making this face, like, I can't believe the ball didn't go in the fucking net, like, that was ridiculous, and that was really fun, like, to see that even the referee was like, oh my god, that was so fucking close, like, I don't know, that was great, and I would, I like moments like that, and I wouldn't want to encourage referees, or discourage referees from doing that, even if it and even if it gives us like a Mike Dean or two as a result. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair conclusion. It's it, like, I always think like with the thing you just said about the, you know, the ref and, and like sort of looking shocked that a goal not going in, it's quite nice to see referees invested in a game. Like obviously like just from the fact that it is entertaining and they probably are football fans. That's how they got into being referees. Like, 
you know, yeah, you want them to be invested in the game, but, you know, maybe Mike Dean is just that bit too invested. Maybe he can't let go. Mike Dean is, yeah, he's just a, he's just a child with a toy that he loves and, you know, likes torturing all the other kids by showing them they don't have it or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's let's move up. I don't want to talk about Mike Dean anymore. Let's, let's he's, he's not that, he, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to talk about him anymore. Let's move on. Um... So we did get a few reader questions. That's awesome, you guys. Thank you. Even if, like, most of them came from people I personally know. Um, But that's a good start. So, uh, again, you can send in reader questions by tweeting at us. We're at at Chips Podcast. And by emailing us, chips at vicesports.com. So we want to answer one or maybe two of those questions, depending on how long it takes us to answer those questions. But reader, uh, the first question came from an uh, occasional Vice Sports contributor and friend of the podcast, Leander Sherlackens, writer for Yahoo Sports. Um, it, I'm going to skip the part where he insulted me personally. I don't see any need to reproduce that here on the air. I think you should read that. No, we're going to skip it. Um, he just generally said what an awful person I am that I shouldn't have my own podcast, but... You know, maybe he's right. I don't know. Time will tell. Um, The actual substantive question was, I feel sorry for Premier League players having to slog through the holiday season. And it seems to be an open uh, invitation to injuries and other assorted problems. But it gives me something to watch. Uh, Leander just had a kid, so he really needs, like, some, you know, outlet. So congratulations on your child, but also, I'm sorry, your life is over. Um... But then Leander asks, does it make me a bad person to, you know, enjoy watching these games knowing that it's just inviting pain and injuries from players? Uh, Will, what's your what's your take on this? Yes, well, well done to Leander for being a virile man. It's my first comment. My second <laughs> would be that, yeah, no, I mean, the holiday schedule, I, as I was saying earlier, I genuinely think Match of the Day has now been on, like... I think it's been on for four... I think tonight it will be. It will have been on for four days in a row. Like, it's crazy. It's like we're living a perpetual sort of Saturday, Sunday. That There's just football on all the time. Like, you know, the festive football that we discussed in episode one is in full swing. And, um, you know, that's... I suppose that's... It's petering out now, but it's still like... You know, there are fixtures tonight. I think Arsenal play Bournemouth tonight. There's quite a few people playing. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's match today all the time, which is kind of nice, but it's like that song... You know, I wish it could be Christmas every day. Like, actually, if Match of the Day was on every day, you know, it might destroy my love of Match of the Day. Much like if Christmas was every day, I would lose my love of Christmas. So, yeah, I think kind of it does feel a little bit wrong in that, that you know, the kind of injuries and the pains of the players. But my co- my closest comparison for this would, would basically be like, it's a bit like, you know, we're not meant to like, you know, like leave the like lights on you know, in our house or like eat meat or like drive a car. But like, to be honest, it's just really convenient and we want to do those things. Like they're unethical, they're unsustainable, but we kind of want to do them. And so I guess making footballers play until all their like ankles fall apart is kind of the same. We're like, we want to watch the football. So like if you guys crumble to dust in the process, well, we don't want you to, but like we're not actually going to do anything about it. Dense monkeys, dense. Yeah, it kind of has like a... It has a vibe of like, you know, just how just how capitalistic society makes everything we love repeat until it crumbles and becomes unsustainable. Like that's just what we do. I mean Yeah, look at like I don't it's kinda it kinda reminds me like it's a it's a more um it's a more serious version of like how they made like 
five superhero movies over like seven years that all did very well and the studios just decided that they were going to make a million of them and that they would never stop making superhero movies because they always do well and that's like soccer is kind of real i mean like sports in general but soccer also is kind of realizing like people watch this no matter when we put it on or how often it's played or how much soccer there is available like people still watch it so why don't we just do more of it and that's kind of like what's going on. Like I'm honestly – like you, you guys in England don't even have it that badly compared to how we have it in the US. Like this holiday schedule, like yeah, it's bad, but it's only at one time of the year. Whereas like the NFL actually created like – like they started playing on Thursdays. And it's a very similar problem because if a team plays on Sunday and then they have to play on Thursday – like a lot of them aren't healthy by then, and it's a it, and and a lot of very be- catastrophic injuries have occurred on Thursdays, and also just like the quality of play seems to be lower. Um, and players anecdotally report that they feel like shit, but they still have to play. So it's like we've already in America, like our sports have already done this. They're already like, oh yeah, this is not healthy, but there's so much money to be made, we should just do it. Um, so I like. I watched the the holiday schedule and like I do feel bad about it, but I also am glad that it only is like during the holiday and it's not like a year long thing now. Yeah, I agree. Do you guys have a, a series called uh, Black Mirror in the US by Charlie Brooker? Yeah, we we get it on Netflix, so we watch it too. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah, there's definitely a Black Mirror episode in this of like you know we are. You're right. It's kind of like a it's a metaphor for consumerism. We are consuming the players. We're watching them like physically erode while they entertain us and yeah I mean it's quite dystopian in a way but at the same time you know I just like football you know I just want to watch it until people fall apart in front of my eyes sorry sorry world but how does that how does that like I'm not sorry (laughs) how does that like Black Mirror episode go is it like once a player's hamstring falls out like they cut out the hamstring replace it new with a new one and then like the hamstring gets shipped to the local pub for the people to eat yeah, something like that. I guess they just keep sending players on. It's just people like dragging themselves about on their hands and knees. You know, they can't they can't stand anymore. They have no muscles left. Just stuff like that. It would be really. It would be dark. It would be dark and Orwellian. Yeah, like the game goes on for like 180 days instead of 180 minutes or something like that. And it's just like they all, all the time. It's just always on. Yeah, it never stops. So I'm I'm reading like this book on the history of doping in sports. It's really good. It's called uh, "Spitting in the Soup" by Mark Johnson, and uh, he he starts off the book talking about like you know the what bike races used to be like in like the early 20th century, and like in Madison Square Garden they used to have these like six day long bike races, where it was basically like. They they had to finish as quickly as they could over the, and, you know, however long it took was however long it took and fans would come and go. They wouldn't like, you know, the fans wouldn't stay there for all six days, of course, but like the racers would just like they'd have to they'd sleep like four hours over the course of six days and otherwise just be biking around this velodrome. And it's it's like. I feel like it's not a Black Mirror episode. It's a history lesson. Like, this is what we used to do to these people. Like, it was fucking cruel. So you think we're going back to, like, Victorian sport? Like, people are going to be injecting, like, strychnine into themselves and, like, 
just like having a completely yeah. mad time trying to produce constant sport for the people's entertainment. Yeah, well, we're like working back towards that instead of like aristocrats doing it to prove how manly they are, even though they've lived the most privileged lives imaginable. Um, now we're going to be paying poor people enormous sums of money to become athletically gifted enough that they subject themselves to this. And we'll also, you know, maybe eventually we'll also get to the point where it becomes acceptable for them to use science and technology to boost their performance in a healthy way but right now we're not at that because they have to do that like you know under the table and not in a scientifically sanctioned um way but yeah i do like i don't know christmas we should we should should definitely qualify for legal reasons that you're referring to the greater phenomenon of doping as opposed to any doping in football (laughs) sure if that's if that's what you feel is necessary then you can you can say that. I'm definitely not. <laughs> I do. I all right. All right. Feel that um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, I guess like I feel badly about making players play on short notice when injury is much more likely to about the same degree that I feel bad about liking sports in general, which is that we are like watching people perform physically uncomfortable and unpleasant tasks constantly like i don't i don't know do i feel bad when like a someone takes a direct free kick right to the head yeah i feel kind of bad but also like i don't it doesn't bother me that much because it's just you know it's just sports like sports is people getting hurt and you watching it and just accepting it i don't know it's best not to think about it. Yeah, we've kind of got down the ethical rabbit hole here and it feels a little bit like, I mean, eventually we're going to come to some form of like just totally like anarchist philosophy where we're like, no one must ever play sport lest we watch it and <laughs> accidentally exploit them. So I know what you're saying, yeah. I mean, there's, again, like we've kept saying like in our kind of moderate liberal way, there's probably a middle ground here, you know, middle ground, here it is again. The middle ground is probably that like, Maybe we should just like look after them a bit better, but otherwise enjoy them playing football. Like I think we can probably all just enjoy them playing football and not worry too much about their ankles. But like, yeah, I mean, basically, the festive fixture list is a bit crazy. Players complain about it. Managers complain about it. I mean, managers have been complaining about it a hell of a lot in the last week or so. So you know, maybe there's some room for moderation there. But then it's also traditional. So hey, who cares? I think too like one of the things I also wrestle with is that sometimes I think I think too much about sports and these types of issues like as a you know since it is my job like it is my job to think about them and then I also realize that I think about them tremendously more than almost anybody else and I'm not really sure many people other than those who work in sports think about whether it's ethical to watch a soccer team perform on 48 hours rest um nobody's like I don't I don't know like it depends how what what definition of force do you want to go with but um you know nobody's forced to do it like they could in theory le- not play even though it's not a real choice it's a false choice I don't know it's it's one of those things that like I'm sure a philosophy class would have a lot of fun debating but most other people don't really give a shit yeah that's quite possibly true I think people care to the extent that their favorite players might get injured but in terms of like is it fair to expect them to, like, go through that physical exertion? You're right, I'm pretty sure no one gives a fuck. Yeah, what's happened with the NFL over the past, like, five, six years is pretty illustrative here. Like, we learned that the sport, in many cases, literally kills them. And people were 
not happy to learn this, but they didn't stop watching. So I think you know it's kind of that's kind of where we where we land on it. Yeah, it sounds basically we've come up with a podcast topic here, and then we've like gone through a very kind of detailed and I hope measured and well thought out analysis of it, and then we've both come to the conclusion that nobody else cares but us. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've I've said a few times like I don't think anybody listens to this podcast and I'm mostly joking but I it might stop being a joke at some point because we we are so thoughtful and and yeah 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 let's let's brighten things up just real quickly before we end off here because that got dark we'll take one more reading question this one from Alex Warna um sorry if I mispronounce your name I don't I don't it is it is Alex Warner Alex Warner is also known known to me like Leander's known to you. Oh, okay, so we've got two questions from friends here. We we are not like biased against, uh, like biased in favor of answering questions from our friends here. Just so you know, like these are just the only questions we got. So if you are if you don't know us personally but have a question, feel free to write in. We will we will answer it. It'll actually like we'll we will prioritize questions by people we don't know. So, anyways, uh, Alex Alex Warner wants to know. Um, whether if Pardew, if Alan Pardew's like uh, first tier coaching career is over, which I don't know, it might be, it might not be. Let's just assume it is for the second. Um, what else should Alan Pardew do? What what should be his next career stop? Assuming he's done with managing soccer, oh, like professional raconteur. I mean, I've seen a lot of <laughs> I've seen a lot of really good stories about Alan Pardew that that have that are publishable that have been published. There, there are probably many that are unpublishable, but the published ones that I've seen are my favourites, which maybe will give us like more context on um, you know what he should do with his, with his life now if he doesn't want to do football anymore. One of my favourites was that someone went to a VIP, uh, like a party, like a, you know, like a, basically like a quite expensive party. Uh, I forget where it was. I think it might have been in, in East London or Essex or somewhere like that, which, it, you know, Essex is a county east of London. And uh, there was a VIP section at this party and the only person sitting in it on his own was Alan Pardew. That's one, <laughs> that's one good story I've heard about Alan Pardew. The most important person. Yeah, it was almost like they were like, oh, well, you don't have to go in. Like, no one else has. And he was like, no, no, I'll be sitting down. Um, so <laughs> that uh, is a good one. There's also that he wants, um, he wants allegedly, uh, you know, as said by his fellow coaches, took one of his, like, coaches' dinners, I think at Newcastle. I think he was there and he apparently, he sat down and, like, his coach was eating a really nice like plate of food and he was like, oh, I'm having that. And then his coach was like, you can't, you can't do that. I mean, that's not a normal way to interact with a fellow human or something to that effect. And Anna Pardew apparent, apparently, allegedly said, when you're the king, you can do anything. So there's another kind of insight into the man. Um, so yeah, I guess... There's something in this. I mean, that's maybe like that's maybe so maybe, much yeah. worse than anything Pep Guardiola has ever done. <laughs> yeah, true. No, you're right. We should talk about that on the podcast every week and lambast him for for doing just just that one thing. It's so ridiculous how like Pep gets like shit on for being like kind of grumpy after a soccer game, whereas like all of your country's most treasured managers are tremendous assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's. Um, probably a fair summary yeah I mean I, I I, honestly don't know it's a bit weird with Pardew I mean like someone was I think I saw someone contrasting 
the Bob Bradley treatment with the Pardew treatment in that after Bob Bradley being sacked, people were saying, like, oh, an American will probably never manage in the Premier League again. But then after Alan Pardew is sacked for, like, essentially failing really, really badly with a club that had, like, you know, pretty decent resources and had signed a good level of, you know, good level of, level of talent, people are basically speculating on which Premier League job Alan Pardew will get next. Like, it is very strange. I mean, I know Alan Pardew has a lot of experience, but the Alan Pardew phenomenon is a weird thing in that actually there have been times he's been quite successful. I mean, famously with Newcastle one season, he finished fifth. That was, that was probably his, his pinnacle. But I mean, there's been a lot of other jobs he's done that have been, you know, either middling to disastrous. So, you know, it is, it, people I think are fair to question why he is considered part of the Premier League furniture but why, like a manager like say Bob Bradley comes in, it's not a success at first, and people then are like drawing massive sort of overarching conclusions about the future of like American managers, let's say in the Premier League. Like it, it is a bit of a double standard, I think. Yeah, it's weird, but also Pardew is not a manager right now, and that's not the question we're we're trying to answer. Will, come on, let's stay sorry, let's stay on top of it. I think I think Pardew. To answer your question, Alex, I think Pardew should go on Dancing with the Stars. He showed that he has some very nimble moves during, what was it, the FA Cup semifinal last year, if I remember correctly, yeah. something like that. Yeah, he showed that yeah, he's got some final. moves. Yeah, final. yeah, oh, final, that's right, yeah. Put put a fedora on him, get him in a goofy outfit, get him on tape talking about how much he hates being in the fedora and goofy outfit. That would be that would be entertainment that I would watch. Alan, I've never watched an episode of Dancing with the Stars ever but I would watch Alan Pardew on Dancing with the Stars. I think just party planner to the rich and famous, because clearly he knows how to rock a VIP section. He thinks he's the king. He think, you know, maybe party planner to royalty. Like, you know, he, he actually considers himself a member of the royal family to the point where almost like the queen, like, is the only one who's allowed to eat swan. He's the only person who's allowed to steal other people's dinner. So, you know, yeah, I think either kind of, yeah, some sort of bigwig organizer, you know, a guy, a socialite, a professional socialite. He needs to be hobnobbing with the rich and famous is basically what we've come up with, like in one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, Alan, you're welcome. I'm sure you're listening. You're welcome. <laughs> That's all we got for today. Um, Will, do you have any final thoughts for the good people out there? Maybe a prediction for the Arsenal game tonight. Maybe some recommendations of things you've written. Maybe a good restaurant recommendation. Uh, no, no, I have pretty much no insight uh, into any of those things whatsoever. I mean, you know, just go on my topic page, I guess, read, read my content, and uh, continue listening to the podcast. Read my content. That's, that's some good shit there, Will. Is that your Tinder profile? Um, no, I've just, I've just like shortened it to just RTC <laughs> content. Nice. Read the content. Since Will didn't take my invite to do any promotion, um, again, please follow us on Twitter, Chips Podcast. Uh, email us, chips at vicesports.com with questions, inquiries, comments. My offer to respond to your emails with a handwritten letter um still stands if you include your postal address i've already sent out a few actually so those should be getting there soon um and i will send out more it's called reader engagement on a personal level i haven't written anything recently i'm doing a lot doing a lot of research and and stuff into bigger pieces so i don't have anything to to shill either but you can follow me on twitter at a underscore w underscore gordon 
and Will is also on Twitter. Will, what's your what's your handle again? It's at W underscore F underscore McGee. How do you like that? We have the same Twitter naming convention. That's pretty that's pretty coincidental. Uh spell your last name for the good people out there. M A G with two E's. Alright. Everyone, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 